chapter 20. As we continue our study in the book of Exodus um, and sort of sub-study, if you will, on the Ten Commandments. We've been reading the first two verses of Exodus 20 to remind us that the law is not given as a means of redemption, but because God redeems, he gives us his law. This is God's word. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery. Then verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Will you join with me as we pray together and ask God's blessing on his word preached? Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, this is our hope that you will not leave us the same as we came. For your word created the world out of nothing and life sprung up. And by your word, you will set us free and the life of Jesus will spring up in us. So we pray, give us ears to hear and eyes to see the glory of Jesus. Convict us of our sin by your law. Cut us so deep that we would flee from ourselves and any attempts at righteousness earned for us. For it's no hiding place. Draw us to Jesus that we might be found in him with the righteousness from him to us. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, uh, I think we'll agree that deception creates instability. But I think we'll also agree that telling the truth is always costly. Deception creates instability. Fake news combined with the ability to control what shows up in our feed to shape our decisions is threatening to deconstruct American democracy by dismantling trust. Who do you trust? But polite society works on a certain level of dishonesty. If we're honest, honey, tell me the truth. Does this dress make me look fat? I mean, is that really a question you want to answer? No, honey, it does not. Either way you go, you can't win. A research professor at the University of California did a study and found that on average, general people lied two to three times per day, but her observations were a little more pointed. Most of the untruths that we tell are innocuous, but designed with one purpose in mind, to hide our inadequacies. But truth is getting harder to get at because we've learned that the person who controls the narrative also controls the flow of power. Truth and power always go together. Maybe better said, deception is power. The philosopher Frederick Nietzsche was shaped by modern assumptions. He shaped most of the way that the world sees things now. He said this, truths are illusions which we have forgotten that's what they are. The Nazi propagandist Joseph Goebbels said this way, 
And I think we buy into this. Truth is what it is to the advantage of your own people. And we don't talk except to say something to obtain a certain effect, right? So when we speak, particularly when we speak deceptive, half-truths, slight twists of things, the goal is to move power towards ourselves. If truth is just a social construct, then deception is the means that we use to gain power. And yet, the Bible assumes that God has created you and me with a great capacity, even a hunger to know the truth, and that where truth reigns, so does human flourishing. But that telling the truth is always a costly proposition. Deception creates instability. Truth-telling is the key to human and even societal flourishing. So lying is dangerous. It's dangerous at one level because it deconstructs and creates instability, but at a deeper level provokes God's wrath. Lying is dangerous because human relationships, any relationships that you will have with someone, is dependent on a lack of deception. So let me first talk about, if what is being outlawed here is lying, let me first talk about categories of deception. Borrowing from Augustine, the fourth century bishop of North Africa, he said really there are three types of lying. There is humorous lying, helpful lying, and harmful lying. Humorous lying, he says, are things like jokes. You know, three men, what, three mice walk into a bar. Well, you know by construct that this is a joke. You don't think that three mice are actually walking into a bar. The intent is not to deceive. Or an actor playing a part, we get that what is going on is not destructive deception. This is, this is not what the command is talking about. Or, or helpful lying. Humorous lying, helpful lying. Helpful lying, a little more difficult to nuance, but think of the typical Southern greeting. How are you doing today? I'm great. And you? Oh, I'm wonderful. Now, common courtesy tells us that's not really an honest question that they're looking an honest answer to. It's a social courtesy, a courtesy meant to navigate the relationship. It's not meant to be honored, answered honestly. I'm great. When your life is falling apart, it's just part of the negotiation. It's part of building relationships. So that's one category, helpful lying or helpful deception. Maybe put it, you might put it in this category too, the Hebrew midwives, who when told to kill the firstborn males of Egypt, um, lied to Pharaoh and said, um, they deliver too quickly, we can't get to them. They deceived in a helpful way. Harmful lying. This is really what's being considered here. When you can tell by the form that the commandment takes, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Right? The command is set in the context of the courtroom. But we've said, you'll remember, that each of these commands in the Ten Commandments are actually like hyperlinks. They are meant to take us into something much deeper and richer than what is being specifically commanded. And so uh, you can imagine here in this context of a courtroom in the ancient Israelites, 
worked this way. If, if someone was going to be convicted of a crime, it was done on the back of witnesses. This is before much forensic science had been done. And so two or three witnesses were necessary to convict an individual of a crime. And so if you had a false witness giving testimony and someone was convicted of that crime, you can imagine that the entire uh, system of justice would begin to crumble in that situation. People would have their lives deconstructed by a false witness or two. They would be wrongly convicted, and a wrongly convicted individual loses um, their livelihood. They lose their reputation. Sometimes they lose their family. They carry around with them a stigma attached to them, and the society in general would lose their sense of trust in judges to execute justice. It would create instability everywhere. And in general, that's what lying does. Whether it's in a courtroom setting or children to parents or between spouses or amongst friends. But more deeply, lying reveals our striving for self-preservation and self-redemption. In a recent study on college students and lying, the University of Massachusetts psychologist Robert Feldman found this. He says, lying is directly tied to self-esteem, the way you perceive yourself. And then he said, we find that as soon as someone feels their loss of self-esteem, that their self-esteem, their perception of themselves is threatened, they immediately begin to lie at higher levels, right? A student plagiarizes a paper to get a higher grade because they have attached their sense of worth in this world to the grade book. Or a man might hide his affair by deceiving his wife because he's decided that the affair brings more joy and he desperately wants to cling to the idol and so he deceives to cover. Or children, when you break a picture and your parents ask, who did this? And you say, not me. You are lying to protect yourself from getting in trouble. It is an attempt at self-preservation and self-redemption. So if we're going to put this particular sin to death, we need to dig down even deeper to the reasons we try to self-protect. Because at the root, lying is a bad attempt at self-redemption. It draws on the dynamics that if I can deceive, I can hold power and protection to myself. Because if truth is power, then lying is just an attempt to hoard that power so that I can protect myself. If I hold the truth and give you just a little bit of information, I can maintain control. And this self-covering started way back in the garden. Adam's first attempt to deal with his guilt and shame was not to flee to God and confess what he had done. His first attempt was to hide and construct fig leaves for himself. And lying is just another feeble, half-hearted attempt to cover ourselves from the reality of guilt and shame. This is why when self-identity is threatened, we've done something wrong, the knee-jerk reaction is to hoard truth and 
dispense lies. God hates lying and deception. And the hard truth is that when God constructs his kingdom, liars end up on the outside because God is truth. God is as he does. That's a basic assumption in biblical theology. God is as he does. God speaks truth because he is true. And the God who is true cannot deceive. He hates lying because it is impossible for him to lie. Hebrews six eighteen. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's full of truth. John 1, 14. God is the author of truth. Truth doesn't exist outside of God. It is not something that he has to learn or strive for. Objective truth, objective truth exists objectively in the mind of God who is true. What is true is in God's mind who is true. Therefore, he is the author of truth. James 1, 17. There's no shadow due to turning in God. He doesn't change. In Jesus Christ, you get the same God yesterday, today, and forever. No ability to deceive, only to speak what is true. He has no need to deceive because he has no need to self-protect. If truth is power, then he does not hoard it, but freely dispenses it to any who would receive it. When he speaks, he only speaks truthfully. And as we heard, when he speaks, he speaks his truth in order to accomplish redemption. John chapter 8, the passage just before Chad read. Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and it will set you free. When he speaks, he speaks truthfully, and by his true word, redemption takes place. It's a beautiful picture in Isaiah of God's word going out and creating the new creation. Of his truth going out and making deserts bloom with life. Flowers grow up in barren places. It always goes out and accomplishes what he intends for it to accomplish. And what he intends for it to accomplish is for us to be set free from patterns of self-protection and self-covering. James 1, 18, of his own will, he brought us forth. It's the language of new life, bringing us forth out of darkness into light, out of death into new creation. How did he do this? By the word of truth. And it means that the unchanging truthfulness of God in his word is the anchor for our souls amidst a world and our lives that are constantly changing. They're more like, more like ships being tossed in dangerous seas than paradise. And so as that's the case, the ship needs to be anchored so it doesn't drift off and get battered. 
So when God, Hebrews 6, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of his promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, one, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Now in an ever-shifting world where it's hard to figure out who is spinning what, where fake news is real, to take the true God at his word, which is truth, gives us some stability and a grounded hope. It's an anchor. It secures us because God cannot lie and has made an oath. He has made promises. You can attach yourself to his promise and that will put you in a stable community. The church of Jesus Christ has existed and thrived. Though it has been attacked from without over the centuries, attacked from within by false teachers, the truth of God's word has sustained his church globally and it has thrived and flourished. Lives have been utterly changed when God's truth was the anchor for souls. Marriage has been recovered. Entire cultures transformed. Addicts set free. Broken, hopeless people thriving under the care of Jesus Christ when the anchor was sunk into the truthfulness of the true God's word. How can I know that God can be trusted? Because he cannot lie. And because he promised to save his people. And then in the fullness of time, that is just what he did. He dispensed his power by crucifying his son for our sins. Just as he had promised. But there's a deeper problem to our lying. And it's this. The roots of deception, I'm afraid, go much deeper and are much more sinister because deception distorts reality by twisting it. This is most of us don't have just flat out lies. Most of us have just a little bit of truth and a little bit of of deception in there with the goal of mixing them together to move focus away and put it on someone else. This is because Satan is the father of lies. He subtly distorts the truths and sells us half-truths. When Satan tempted Eve in the garden, he subtly changed just a couple of God's words. But those few words distorted the whole truth of God by twisting them. In the wilderness, Satan tempted Jesus by subtly twisting what God had said to tempt Jesus to something completely different than what God commanded. He masquerades as an angel of light, pretending to be someone else, someone who he is not, in order to lead the image of God to our destruction. This is the more sinister roots of lying. Now, if you're in Christ, 
If you've given your life to Jesus, you are someone who now belongs to the new creation. You belong to the resurrected Jesus. And so take off your lying and put on truth-telling to your neighbor. Because in Revelation chapter 22, when we get a glimpse into the new world, the new creation where God reigns with his people and there is no more sickness or sin anymore, no more death and Jesus reigns in all of his glory when all of creation is at peace and the child sits by the the viper's hole and and they're enjoying life together flourishing we find this it's a new city in the new heavens and the new earth but there is a line drawn around it walls built up inside of the city are those blessed who've washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and so they have a right to the tree of life that they may enter the gates of the city but on the outside are everyone who loves and practices falsehood J.I. Packer says this lying insults not only your neighbor who you may manage to fool but it also insults God who you can never fool a truth telling promise-keeping God who cannot lie and wants to see in us his own moral image naturally hates a lying tongue, a false witness who breathes out lies. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. So if you belong to Christ, lying belongs to the old man, the man that was once in bondage to Satan, once under his realm. Christ has died to put an end to our deceptive ways. Colossians 3 9 don't lie to one another seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices this is what we confessed from the Heidelberg Catechism I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works under the penalty of God's heavy wrath you see the true God who by the truth of his word creates a kingdom of true people. The true God, by the truth of his word, creates a kingdom of true people. Right? So three things here. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you've been redeemed by the truth to love the truth. So first, we must embrace truthfulness And that requires both saying and hearing hard things. Both. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, having put away falsehood, take it off, put it away. It doesn't belong to me anymore. That's the old man. I'm not going to live that way. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Just... It's not enough just simply to stop lying. We need to speak the truth into each other's lives because we now belong to one another in Jesus Christ. The best of us will get caught in the deception of sin and temptation. There's no one here, including myself, who will be exempt from being caught by deceptive nature of Satan's temptation and the deceptive nature of sin. And since we belong to each other, the way to grab us out is to speak God's truth in love to one another. In Galatians 2, 
Paul confronts Peter, the apostle, to his face. Because he was living in a way that was out of line with the gospel. He doesn't go behind Peter's back and start a gossip chain. Nor is he passively, aggressively just suggesting hints to Peter so that Peter might change his way. Rather, he says this, I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all publicly, that his conduct was out of line with the gospel. And here's what happens. It leads to Peter's repentance. We have to be committed to speaking the truth in love because it is the way for God's truth to break in and steer us away from the deceptiveness of sin. But look, you can't always be Paul confronting. A lot of times you need to be Peter being rebuked. And there should be a developed affection for those who love the truth of God's word for hearing hard things about ourselves because truth is being spoken in love. Listen to what King David says, right? This is a man who was rebuked by Nathan for his gross sin and adultery and murder. Psalm 141, 5. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let not my head refuse it. It is a blessing to have a brother and sister in Christ care enough about you to rebuke you. You have to give people permission to speak this way. So pull someone aside this week and say, you have permission to rebuke me. I want to enjoy the blessing of God's word being spoken into my life when I'm caught into sin. Invite them in. Secondly, we need to tell the truth about ourselves. Not only have truth spoken to us, but tell the truth about ourselves. There is no room for hypocrisy in Christ's kingdom. Right? A hypocrite is a word from the ancient Greek theater. They were actors who wore masks. They pretended to be someone different in one setting and someone else different in another setting. And you see what the gospel does is it comes in immediately and confronts the hypocrisy of pretending to be one person on Sunday morning, but a different person the rest of the week. Our true person played out. Lack of integrity integrated together. The gospel just confronts hypocrisy dead on by making it unnecessary. See, the world says to us, if you're honest about yourself, you will be rejected. And so the pathway to freedom is deception. So cover yourselves. But Jesus says to us, when you're honest about yourself, I will embrace you as you are. I will cover you with my blood and righteousness. And then I will speak the truth in such a way that will set you free. There is no need for both either hypocrisy or deception in Christ's kingdom because we've already been covered by God with the blood of his son and his clothes and his righteousness. Why hide anymore? This is what confession is. Confession is telling the truth about ourselves. When we confess our sins to God, we're telling Him the truth about ourselves and then believing the truth that He says. This, when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are no masquerade balls in Jesus' palace. 
because there's no need to wear masks. We're free to be who we really are. Thirdly, we must speak the truth about each other. Again, what God requires of us is that we speak the truth in all of our lives. And so, since this command is calling us to accuracy regarding the truth, there's no room for gossip because it is just a subtle form of lying about another. Their reputation is to be protected at all costs. When you gossip and slander someone, you promote half-truths that at best are taken out of their full context and destroy their reputation, often for our own pleasure. Proverbs 18.8. Because there's a real temptation here. Rumors are seductive. Make us feel like we're on the inside. They feed our need to clothe ourselves with our own righteousness. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. They're like word candy. They're going in, they feel good, but they provide absolutely no room for flourishing. You must stop gossip in its tracks. Refuse to pass on information about another. It is not your story to hear or tell. Rather, as again, the Heidelberg reminds us, we must do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. They're mine to protect, not to destroy with half-truths. The truth of God's word builds up and embraces Deception is just an attempt to cover ourselves to make us look better. In the fall of 1989, Alex, Alexi Santana got into Princeton as a freshman. Uh, you know, Princeton's hard to get into, and you need more than good grades and just excellent test scores to get into pres- prison. And so for Alexi, the thing that put him over was his amazing life story. It had won over the admissions committee. It was extraordinarily compelling Alexi had barely received any formal schooling. He had spent his adolescence almost entirely on his own in the Utah desert. He learned, taught himself to herd cattle, raise sheep, and read philosophy. He became an ultra-distance runner in the Mojave Desert. He was a unique individual. Quickly, because of his story, he became something of a star on Princeton's campus during his freshman year. There was just one problem. Santana's story about his life was a lie. Princeton officials eventually learned that his real name was James Hogue. He was a 31-year-old man who served a prison sentence in Utah for possession of stolen goods. He was taken away from Princeton in handcuffs. We lie to get in. Because we're afraid of being put out and rejected. But the kingdom of God is upside down. Those who lie to protect themselves will be put out and rejected. But those who tell the truth about their sin and their brokenness will be covered and protected by God. Declared righteous in his sight. This is what God says. And he cannot lie. Let's pray. 
Father, may you make us truth lovers. When we are tempted to deceive, to twist the truth for our own benefit, grant us repentance and free us by reminding us that we are already covered in Christ, adored by you, embraced by you, and eternally secured by you. Help us to cling to the true promises of your word that we could be truth-tellers in each other's lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.